Oh, well, it is the Spring Forward Sunday, and uh, you know, uh, one of the things that our children's ministry does is they have a, a pajama day. Uh, there's pajama day there, particularly on the preschool hall and all, and our grandson uh, asked us, he said, he said, Papa, are you going to wear your pajamas to, to church on Sunday? I said, no, my ratty old gym shorts and t-shirt probably wouldn't look uh, that good. It would be very distracting from the message, but lots of, lots of good pajamas, and if you see some adults in pajamas... Give them a thank you, because a lot of them are working with our children and pouring into their lives, and so we are very, very grateful uh, for them. Uh, Brian just mentioned we're we in the midst of, of kind of a focus on, on for Fort Mill, uh, and as we, we think about that, uh, I, I want you to kind of think personally for just a moment to kind of make sure we're kind of in touch with maybe at least some of the how that might feel on the other end of that. I want you to think about maybe somebody in your life who you knew was for you personally. They, they, they wanted the best for you. You could kind of feel that. You could sense it. They, they tried to draw God's best from you. And, and, and that doesn't mean that they were perfect. That doesn't mean that your relationship was perfect because there's no perfect people. There's no perfect relationships. And uh, it doesn't mean that they didn't get after you because sometimes those who love you the most, because they want to draw that out of you, they, 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 they get real and, and get, get with it, right? But, but probably for some of you, you've had people like that in your life. Maybe for some of you, it was a parent. You were blessed to know that somebody was for you. For some of you, it may have been that special teacher that first came to mind, or that coach, or maybe it's a friend, or, or maybe it was somebody early in your career path that took you under the, your, their wing and said, I see some things in you. I believe in you. I, I, I'm for you. I want to draw out the best that's in you. And I want you to just kind of sit with that for a moment and just remember how that feels to have somebody that you know is for you, somebody that wants the best for you and seeks to draw out the best from you. Now go to the opposite end of that. My guess is some of us have had some people in our life that we not only suspicioned they weren't for us, at times it felt like they were out to get us, right? And maybe even if it was just somewhat neutral, you didn't feel safe. You didn't feel valued. You didn't feel comfortable. You didn't probably flourish in that environment because you were afraid you were being judged more than you were being supported. Maybe you've, some of you have experienced that there was just somebody that was just waiting for you to make a mistake so they could say, gotcha. Right? That feels totally different. When we think about four Fort Mill, we want to be for the gospel and for people. And we want them to, to experience that. And we can't certainly totally control that. 
but we, I can't control your emotions. I can't even control your experience. Uh, we know that two people go through the same set of circumstances, come away with two entirely different experiences, but we can't control our behavior, how we behave toward one another. And that's what we've been talking about in this four-fort mill. And so I want to just remind you of where we've been before we talk about where we're going. And while we do that, you may want to find Luke chapter 19. We're going to be look, diving in there in just a moment. Although we talked about what we want for you as a church rather than from you. What we want for you as an individual rather than what we want from you even as a local church. Uh, and then last week we, we just kind of said, you know, we, we just recognize that there are many people in our world that are more familiar with what the church is against than what the church is for. And there may be a wide wide variety of reasons for that on, on all ends of the spectrum, but if you were to ask them, is the church, is the local church for you, they would probably more quickly bring to mind how they maybe feel like it is, what is it against than what it is for, and that there are some folks that have concluded, maybe many folks that have concluded, that the church is not for them because church, they've never experienced church as being for them. And again, I can't control someone else's emotions or even their experience, but you and I control how we behave, how we choose to relate to the people around us. Can we relate in such a way that it says we are for people and we are for the gospel? And you say, well, Jeff, what, what would that look like? And, and my suggestion to you through this focus is, I think it would look an awful lot like Jesus. It would look an awful lot like Jesus. But what you need to know on the front end is, if it looks an awful lot like Jesus, it may not always be applauded by the most religious crowd. In fact, is uh, when Jesus was surrounded by those uh, accusers, he, he finally concluded kind of in a statement. He said, the Son of Man has come eating and drinking. And you say, look at him, a glutton and a drunkard, a friend of tax collectors and sinners. Jesus was for people and for the gospel. And he was willing to go places that some of us are uncomfortable, to relate to people that maybe we don't normally relate to, to reach out to people on levels that most of us don't tend to go to. And he says, follow me. Follow me in this way of living in somebody that is, yes, even a friend of sinners. And one of the classic examples of that is recorded in Luke's gospel for us. Luke chapter 19. Some of you are very familiar with this story. You even grew up singing a song about it. Uh, some of you, maybe this is the first time you have encountered it. Uh, whether it's the first time or the hundredth time, I think this encounter between Jesus and a man by the name of Zacchaeus can tell us a little bit about how does it look to live like you are four people, that you are four people. So let's, let's just begin. Chapter 19 in Luke's gospel. Let me just uh, read aloud the first three verses, encourage you to follow along to kind of set the stage before we get into the meat of the, uh, of the encounter. He, being Jesus, he entered Jericho and was passing through. 
And behold, there was a man named Zacchaeus. He was a chief tax collector and was rich. And he was seeking to see who Jesus was. But on account of the crowd, he could not because he was small in stature. Now, let's pause right there for just a moment. Let's make sure before we get into the meat of the the encounter, we understand the cast of characters here. First of all, and certainly the central character is Jesus. And what we know from from Luke's description here is that Jesus was actually just passing through. He was passing through Jerusalem, uh, uh, Jericho, excuse me, on his way to Jerusalem. That's already been told to us in in Luke 17, 11, just a few verses later in the same chapter. There's the record of the triumphal entry into Jerusalem. And so he he is moving forward on God's timeline to fulfill God's purpose. He's heading toward uh, the cross. Uh, And on that way, he is still on mission. He is still open to what God might want to do. The Father might be doing around him and want to be doing through him. He's passing through. The second character is is by a man by the name of Zacchaeus. And interestingly enough, uh, the, the Hebrew root of Zacchaeus's name means righteous one, which is a bit of an oxymoron because he is anything but righteous uh, in his life and his choices. He is he is absolutely not living up to his name, and and sometimes you wonder if every time his name was spoken, uh, was it was it almost just a, a taunting, a reminder of who he was not, that he was not this righteous one. We're told that he was a chief tax collector, and he was rich. Now, tax collectors are mentioned in the New Testament. Chief tax collector is a very rare term here in Luke's gospel, and it may tell us even a little bit more about Zacchaeus. But just to understand, uh, a tax collector, the, the Romans had come in, they, they were the, the, the governing force over this whole area as well as so many other parts of, the, uh, of that world at that time. Well, what they understood was that if you were going to get the most tax revenue, you needed to know where the money was and where the people were. And in order to do that, you didn't bring in somebody from the outside because they didn't know. You used somebody on the inside. You got a local, a local who was willing to sell out. His, his friends, his family, his, the, the, the people of his own, own nationality. And he knew where the money was. He knew where the people were. And as chief tax collector, he may have actually even had folks working under him as Jericho would have been a, a cross-section of, of areas where some roads would have merged and maybe some tolls would have been taken as a part of that. And what made tax collectors particularly onerous is that not only were they working with this kind of invading government, but whatever they got above whatever the minimum they needed to collect was went into their pocket. And so they became quite personally wealthy at the expense of other people, right? And so when people thought of Zacchaeus, they didn't think righteous one. They thought a whole lot of other things, right? But they didn't think righteous one. In fact, is the Mishnah, the, the, the Jewish uh, explanation kind of how to live out of the, the law of God, says that tax collectors were so loathsome that they were not to be considered human, right? And the Mishnah goes on to say that it is okay to lie to a tax collector since they are not really human, 
I mean, it's okay to lie to an animal, right? Some of you feel about the IRS that way. I know. No, I'm kidding. I'm kidding. Don't know. Don't go with me on that, right? Hey, you just, you sense this, the hostility of this, right? This guy's less than human. You're cleared to lie to this guy, right? And then, for those of you who grew up with the song, Zacchaeus was a what? We little man, which is totally politically incorrect, I want you to know. So he, he was actually vertically challenged is, is, is how we say that today, right? He was not a wee little man. Don't, okay, scratch that. He was vertically challenged. Now, why do we say that? Because that'll play into uh, the, the story as it unfolds. One other character in this story, and that is the crowd, the crowd of people. And this crowd, we're not told a whole lot about them, but we know two things about them. One, they were interested in Jesus. Jesus is coming through, this crowd assembles, they've perhaps heard the story, some of them may have even seen him in person, they've heard about the miracles, all these things, this is is big news, Uh, even in an age where there wasn't social media, uh, the word had trickled down, so when Jesus is passing through, people stop, they watch, they they line the streets, they want to see this person, so they're very interested in Jesus, but they are also highly offended by Zacchaeus. in Jesus, but offended by Zacchaeus. Now that sets the, the stage for the rest of the story as it unfolds. So let me just uh, walk us through that. Let's go ahead and read verses 4 through 10, and then we'll circle back and unpack it for just a moment. So he, this is Zacchaeus, so he ran on ahead and climbed up into a sycamore tree to see him, for he was about to pass that way. And when Jesus came to the place, he looked up and said to him, Zacchaeus, hurry and come down, for I must stay at your house today. So he hurried and came down and received him joyfully. And when they saw it, they all grumbled. He has gone in to be the guest of a man who is a sinner. And Zacchaeus stood and said to the Lord, Behold, Lord, the half of my goods I give to the poor, and if I have defrauded anyone of anything, I restore it fourfold. And Jesus said to him, Today salvation has come to this house, since he also is the son of Abraham. For the Son of Man came to seek and to save the lost. Now, there's a whole lot there, but let me just unpack uh, at least a portion of it today. The first thing that I want you to see is Zacchaeus is this man small in stature. The crowd is certainly not going to let him through, right? They're offended by him. Uh, uh, they're not going to let him step in front so he can see. So he, he runs ahead and he, he climbs up in this tree, which is a very, a very undignified thing to do for someone who is as, as, as powerful as and rich as he is, but there's this, this desperation to see Jesus. And, and I want you to see there in verse 4 that Zacchaeus doesn't let others stop him from seeing Jesus. And, and you may say, okay, okay, get on with the rest of it. But can I just talk to maybe some folks in this room for just a moment? Don't let the behavior of other people stop you from seeing Jesus. And I don't know where you're at this morning, what your background is. But if there's some of you here, and maybe, maybe you're still checking this thing out. 
And maybe at times you've seen the behavior of, of someone who claims to be a follower of Christ, and, and you kind of say, well, if that's it, then I don't want to have anything to do with it. I'm just going to urge you, don't let the, the shortcomings of somebody else, the failures of somebody else, keep you from seeing Jesus. Listen, I, I can tell you there, uh, there, there are times I, I get discouraged. I get discouraged by some of the things that I've seen and some of the things I've experienced from people. And there are times where you wonder, you know, <laughs> Jesus, are you anywhere in the mix of all this? But you, 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 you've got to look beyond. You've got to look beyond the imperfections of people and lock your eyes on Jesus. Don't let other people stop you from seeing Jesus. And I'm just going to tell you, the church of Jesus Christ isn't perfect because it's filled with people that are, some of them, many of them genuinely saved, but God is still in the process of conforming them to his image. And we all do it imperfectly. And it's been well said that the church is not kind of this, this museum for the perfect. It's a hospital for sinners, right? And what I'm just going to encourage you today is, is don't don't get discouraged. Don't, don't get discouraged. Maybe we all get nicked and hurt and, and maybe even offended. And, and, you know, I've had heroes of mine in the ministry and stuff that have taken just horrible moral falls and failures. And at times you just want to kind of just give up in disgust. But don't let other people keep you from seeing Jesus. And I, I just felt like I needed to spend some time there this morning because there may be some folks here that, that need to, to figure out a way uh, to, to look beyond some people, to look over some people uh, so that they can actually see Jesus. Zacchaeus doesn't let others stop him from seeing Jesus. But I want you to see what Jesus does. Jesus is passing by and Jesus sees Zacchaeus. He sees him up in that tree, and he initiates a relationship with him. He doesn't just pass by and ignore him. He doesn't just give him kind of the, the, the wave from the float there uh, as everybody's kind of on the sides looking. No, no, no. He, he specifically sees Zacchaeus, and he, he initiates this relationship with him. Now, I know Jesus has this distinct advantage, God in the flesh, but, but is it just maybe a reminder that there are people all around us that God is already working in their lives. I mean, a Zacchaeus doesn't climb up a tree to try to get a glimpse of Jesus unless I think God is stirring something in his heart. And there are people all around us, and you may not at first recognize them as you're just passing through, but God has people around you, and he's already working in their life. And he's looking for that man, and he's looking for that woman who will, who will see them, who will see them, not just with the eyes that everybody else is seeing them, but will see them with the eyes of Christ Jesus, will see who they can become in Christ Jesus, will sense in their heart a compassion that a sense that, hey, God is up to something here, and maybe God wants me to join him in that work and, and initiate a conversation, initiate a relationship to see what God might be up to. Jesus sees that key as he initiates that relationship. But I want you to notice how the crowd responds. The crowd disapproves. Uh, the, the words here are descriptive, right? And when they saw it, the crowd saw it. They all grumbled. <laughs> He's gone in to be the guest of a man who is a sinner. 
Can I just tell you? Don't expect everybody to be excited if you start living like Jesus lived. Don't expect all the religious folks to be excited if you start living like Jesus lived. Because there's always going to be those voices because the tendency of any group, the tendency of any organization is to continually turn inward over time. And there's always going to be folks that say, why are we spending that money? Why are we taking that time? Why are we doing that? Uh, Because there are so many needs right inside our own group that aren't being adequately taken care of. Don't expect that everybody's going to be excited when you start living like Jesus lived. But Jesus doesn't let that distract him or discourage him or stop him. He's still going to show up at Zacchaeus' house. And as he does, he introduces Zacchaeus into to the difference between the gospel and religion. And this is huge. This is huge. The difference between the gospel and religion. Religion says change and God will accept you. Change and God will accept you. Clean up your act and God will accept you. Get your life together and God will accept you. Straighten yourself out and God will accept you. The crowd may have been much more accepting if Zacchaeus had, had kind of played the game and gotten all the things in line and started doing things differently and all this. Uh, religion says change and God will accept you. But here's what the gospel says. The gospel is God's acceptance. And it's not a reward for having changed your life. It's the power to change your life. Now sit with that for a minute. Because for somebody here, you may need to understand this difference. Not just on an intellectual level, but a personal level. In the gospel, God's acceptance is not the reward for having changed your life. It's the power to change your life. Why was this crowd upset? Because they understood. They understood the significance of Jesus showing up and going to this person's home to eat with this man. He was communicating an acceptance of him. They understood that. The gospel is God's acceptance of you. Not based on you getting your act together, but upon the basis of what Jesus has done for you and for me. It's not a reward for getting your life together. It's actually the power to change your life. And that is huge. That is huge. What we have to share is not get your act together and we may have a place for you. It's let me introduce you to the one who can change your life now and forever. The acceptance that's made possible through Jesus Christ. Now, we're not privy to all the conversation that took place between uh, Jesus and Zacchaeus. Uh, 
But what Luke's record allows us to be privy to is what happened out of that. And that is this transformed life is demonstrated. This Zacchaeus has experienced this love and this acceptance of Jesus Christ. And he demonstrates that. It shows up because the gospel empowers you to live differently. And Zacchaeus stood and said to the Lord, Behold, Lord, the half of my goods I give to the poor, and if I have defaulted anyone of anything, I restore it fourfold. Now, Paul's here. Again, some of us have read this so many times that the impact doesn't hit us. But I think at this point, everybody else would have been asking, what happened to Zacchaeus? What happened to Zacchaeus? I mean, think about it. This is a guy who was willing to sell out his people, his friends, and even his very own family for money. And now he's giving away money like it's cheap Halloween candy, right? (laughs) What happened to Zacchaeus? And I think the answer is he found a treasure greater than money. He found a treasure greater than money. And that was the treasure of Jesus Christ. The law said that if you've defrauded someone, you pay back what you defrauded plus 20%. He goes way beyond that. In fact, he goes even further than that. He's giving away half of his money on top. Why? Because he found a treasure greater than money. The psalmist said, you make known to me the path of life. In your presence, there is fullness of joy. Did you notice what Luke tells us is that he comes down from that tree and he received him joyfully. Their presence, there is fullness of joy. At your right hand are pleasures forever." more. What happened to Zacchaeus? He met Jesus. He met Jesus and he discovered a treasure that was greater than money. This has been called the expulsive power of a new affection. The expulsive power of a new affection. That his heart was captured with a greater love. His heart was captured by the love of God for him in Jesus Christ. And that love was so powerful that it changed and reordered every other love in his life. Our experience of God's love for us brings all the lesser loves of our lives into order. That's why what Jesus would talk about compared to our love for him, our love for family, at times almost seems like a hatred, which would have been a a phrase of the day. It's not that we don't love, it's just that love so reordered because of this affection that has grabbed our heart. The acceptance, the experience of God's love for us and our captivity to Jesus and his affection for us becomes so strong that all other captivities are broken. Zacchaeus' heart was captured. It had been captured by money. He was willing to sell out his people, his family, and his friends for this. It had consumed him. 
But when he was captured by the love of God in Christ Jesus, when he experienced the acceptance of God through Christ Jesus, he found this treasure that was greater than money. He had this new affection that cast free all these other things that had entangled him along the way. That's the power of the gospel of Jesus Christ. That's why we're for the gospel and we are for people because when people intersect the gospel, when people meet Jesus Christ, their lives are transformed. And then Jesus goes on to affirm that transformed life. He he says that that, uh, today salvation has come. It's already come. It's not that he earned it is just this is the evidence of it has come to this house since he is also a son of Abraham this transformation is affirmed now I want you to understand the context because this is huge just the chapter before this in Luke 18 Jesus meets a rich young ruler And the rich young ruler comes, and he has all the answers. What must I do to inherit eternal life? Good teacher. There's back and forth about good. And he talks about the commandments. And then Jesus, because Jesus knows what captures our heart. Jesus knows what holds our heart captive. He says, one thing you like. Go sell all that you have and come follow me. And the rich young ruler considers that for the moment. He says, uh-uh. Uh-uh. And he spins and walks away. And Luke tells us of the sadness of Jesus as he watched him walk away. Because his heart had not been captured by the gospel of Jesus Christ. And then he goes on to say how hard it is for a rich man to enter into the kingdom of heaven. In fact, as he says, it's kind of like a camel going through the eye of a needle. And it's been interesting It's sometimes to read some commentators or hear some folks speak all this, and some of the ridiculous extents they go to to try to explain that away. Well, what he really meant by that was like this rope. That's another word for rope, and it's like how hard it is. Or, or uh, there was this little gate. It was called like the eye of the needle, and camels had to get down on their knees. That's a bunch of malarkey. Okay, Hebrew, that's Hebrew. Uh, no. no, Jesus was trying to say it is impossible. It is impossible. That's why the disciples said, wow, then who can be saved? He said, what's impossible with men is possible with God. It is not, I get my act together. I reorder my life. I get my priorities straight. But as I get my heart captured with a new affection, with the gospel of Jesus Christ, and that sets all the other loves in the right order, and it frees me from captivity along the way. See, Jesus came not just for the down and outers, but for the up and outers. And 
listen, you, you, you can be as far away from God in Fort Mill, South Carolina, as you can in the heart of Africa or the heart of India or anywhere else in the world. And in fact, is sometimes if we take Jesus at his word, sometimes our prosperity can be a hindrance because it hinders us from recognizing our need from God. It busies us with so many things. You know, we get things and we got activities and we got opportunities and we maintain things and, and we got to keep working to keep all these things going, all of this. And, and we're pretty healthy because we live in a country where we have access to the wonderful medical care and all of these things. And sometimes we just don't feel our need for God. And then you couple that with what I call middle-class morality, kind of like the rich young ruler. I did this, I did this, I did this, I did this. I haven't really been that bad. I'm, I'm not perfect, but I'm at least as good as all my neighbors and friends, right? And we don't sense our need for God. But Jesus came for the down and outer and for the up and outer. He came for those who recognize their need immediately, and those who aren't aware of their need quite yet. And the gospel message is the same for everyone. The rich young ruler missed it. Zacchaeus got it. It got him. And that became the platform for Jesus to affirm his mission. Even as he's headed to Jerusalem, even as he's headed to the cross, he reminds all of those who are hearing and those of us who are now reading about it centuries later, for the Son of Man came to seek and to save the lost. He came to seek the up and outers and the down and outers and those in between. He came to save those who are near us, even though they may be far from God. Those who are across the street and those who are across the sea. God has sent us as part of his search and rescue team. But we have to get crystal clear on what we're called to do. Our job is not to get people to behavior modification. Straighten out your act. Do better. Go to church. Our job is to point them to Jesus. And he will deal with their behavior later. Old preachers used to say it this way, God catches his fish before he cleans them, right? <laughs> you, don't, you don't clean your fish before you get you, you catch them, and then you clean them. Our job is not to get people to behavior modification. Our job is to point them to Jesus. Because when their heart is truly captured by a new affection, it changes everything in their life. You see, we see in Zacchaeus' story, all of our story. We deserve to be despised and scorned, as Zacchaeus was, but God gives us grace. We deserve to be despised and scorned. We've gone our way instead of God's way. We deserve it, but he extends to us grace. We deserved rejection. I mean, Zacchaeus deserved to be rejected by his people for the way that he treated them, but God invites us into his family. We deserve to be rejected as we have rejected God's right to rule and reign over us. But God invites us into his family. Zacchaeus climbed a tree to get a glimpse of Jesus. Jesus would die hanging on a tree 
Paul wrote about it in Galatians 3. Christ redeemed us from the curse of the law by becoming a curse for us. For it is written, cursed is everyone who is hanged on a tree. That Jesus lived the life we were called to live, died the death we deserved to die, was cursed so that we could be blessed, was punished so that we could be set free, was pronounced guilty. He took our sin upon him so that we could be forgiven. Isaiah foretold it. All we like sheep, whether you're in Fort Mill or Fort Wayne, Indiana, or whether you're, you're, you're across the, the ocean in a language we don't even understand or speak, all we like sheep have gone astray. We have turned everyone to his own way. That's my story. That's your story. That's the story of every human being on this planet. And the Lord has laid on him the iniquity of us all. All of my sin, all of my rebellion, all of my hatred, all of my rejection of God, it's all been laid on him. He took it on the cross so that he could offer to me forgiveness. He could offer me acceptance. He could offer to me a new life and a new potential. And I open up my life and receive that by faith. And if you're here today, and you don't know that hope. You, you, maybe you've been religious, maybe you haven't been religious. But what's, what is rocking your world right now is that sense that I don't know Jesus like Zacchaeus knew Jesus. I need what Zacchaeus got. And this is what I'm going to ask you to do at the close of our service today. I'm going to invite you to make your way to that next step area in that back corner right over there. And there's some folks there that are going to be praying for you. They're going to be open to just continuing this conversation with you, to to kind of answering questions you may have, or just talking to you in a little more detail about what it means for you to open up your life to receive the acceptance of Jesus Christ. That is our desire for you today. For those who truly know the name of Jesus Christ, who have had their hearts captured by the affection of Jesus Christ, you and I are called to be part of his search and rescue team, to join him on this mission to seek and to save those who are lost. And I want to spend just the last few moments we have talking about what that might look like. What might it look like for us to live like we were for the people around us? And I want to just begin with something we talked about just a few weeks ago, and that is to live, live as someone who blesses the lives of other people people. And B-L-E-S-S kind of just reminds us of a pattern to begin with prayer. That if I really want to begin to to, to be for people, I start with prayer. I pray for the people in my life and the places that I'm in. And we've offered to you a couple weeks ago just even a simple prayer you might want to consider uh, adapting or uh, modifying for yourself on a daily basis. God, give me today an opportunity to speak with someone about Jesus, the wisdom to see it, and the courage to take it. So begin with prayer and then listen. Listen. I will listen to and discover the needs of others and the places where God is at work. 
<laughs> if Zacchaeus is up on a tree, God might be at work. And it's been well said, God gave us two ears and one mouth and might have been trying to tell us something in that. But I want to encourage you to think of, of listening to people. With one ear, listen to that person. With the other ear, listen to God. And what might God be saying in the midst of that, even as you set your heart to listen to another? There's power in listening in today's world. And then to eat, to eat. I will share meals and spend time with people in my life. Look at the number of times that Jesus ate with people. There's something powerful about opening up your life, opening up your schedule to invest. And it may not be eating, it may be some other things, but I will share meals. I'll spend time with people in my life. They're close to me, but maybe they're far from God. And then serve. I will respond to the needs of others and help them in practical and impactful ways. And I'm moving through this quickly because we spent a lot more time with it a few weeks ago. And then to story, to story, that I will share the story of Jesus and what he is doing in my life with others. And one resource that we made available to you a few weeks ago was just a little bookmark. Uh, it, it just begins with my commitment to pray for some people. Just uh, four or five folks I'm just going to really continually bring before the Lord, asking God to just open their heart uh, to Him. And then just a reminder of kind of that bless strategy, how to kind of live that out uh, on the back. And if you weren't here a few weeks ago and we went through that, there's copies of it on a, on a table out in the lobby. Please pick one of those up and let that that just kind of be one of the first ways that you start. But I wanted you to hear from a couple in our church that they learned the power of maybe somebody reaching out to them to bless and are seeking to live that out in their own life. Give your attention to the screen as J.D. and Marianne share. I'm J.D. Weathers. I'm Marianne. And we've been here just over two years. Uh, we have three little ones. Logan's nine, Jackson's seven, and Hadley is four. And we're originally from Arkansas and Texas, but we moved here from Australia. A lot of our time overseas, um, when we were away from family, uh, people showed us love. They, they kind of really invested in us and people around us and the people in our churches there. And so um, when we moved here and we joined uh, First Baptist, we really took that as an opportunity for the people immediately in our neighbors or immediately in our neighborhood um, to really kind of show them love as well. The same love that we were shown while we were overseas. There's a lot of people in need, a lot of people um, feel alone or they have a lot, they're going through a painful situation. And those are the times when we can really show them love. Um, like when we were overseas, we had our daughter and that was a time where, you know, with two little ones and a newborn, you're going through a lot and having somebody come alongside you and show you love and something like a meal or watching the kids for a little bit, it does a whole lot. And that's kind of the sharing the love of Christ, not only in word, but also in deed. And that's something that we see with our neighbors. It, as simple as going to a sporting event or a dance recital or just kind of doing yard work with them, coming alongside them just so they don't feel alone, they feel the love of Christ and um, support. And support, yeah. And Christ, I mean, that is Christ's example, is that, I mean, if you read it in his word, he was, hospitality was his, um, I mean, that's how he showed people love into everyone, not just some, but everyone. 
we talk about three opportunities. One of the first opportunities is just that, to intentionally live a life of blessing others where you live, work, and play. To just begin to just say, God, help me to open my eyes. Who are the people that are close to me but far from you? And how can I begin to enter into their life and to live a life of blessing toward them? But there's a second opportunity that uh, we want to just uh, encourage you to uh, try on and engage in as we, as we begin to kind of try to turn outward and try to think a little more about what it looks like to be for Fort Mill. And that is a very simple exercise called pay it backwards, okay? Some of you may have already done this in some way, but out on some tables in the lobby, in addition to the bookmark, there's actually a little uh, st- window sticker that just has simply uh, hashtag for Fort Mill. Uh, you may want to put that on the back of your car. Uh, if you already have the, the, the churches one there, you can do that as well. But I want you to pick up a, co- a copy of a card out there. And on the front, it's just got some information. On the back, it says for, for Fort Mill. And on the front, it says First Baptist Church Fort Mill is for Fort Mill and just has the website. So it's a very simple thing. So here's how pay it backwards work. You're going through the drive-thru at, at a, you know, picking up a drink or something to eat or whatever. And maybe you just send a little prompting of God to say, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to just bless the people behind us, right? And maybe you just, you get up to the, the pay window and you say, hey, I want to pay for the folks behind us. And, you know, and maybe you want to look back there. If it's like a van load of 20 people, you might want to say, yeah, I'll do it next time. Uh, just saying, I'm just saying. Uh, <laughs> but you listen to the Lord. But, uh, but just say, yeah, I want to pay. And then what you do, you pay for that. And then you just give them this card and say, would you just hand this to the people as they come through? So they're not going to pay. I've already paid for them. But if you would just hand this to them. It's just a very, very easy, very, very simple way for, for you just to kind of think outward. And also just to say, hey, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to bless somebody, and I'm just going to at least be a part of seeking to start telling our community in a little more uh, direct language that we are actually for you. We are for you. So I encourage you to pick those up on the way out. Many of you are still submitting some great four Fort Mill ideas. That card's in the worship folder. You can uh, drop that off on the tables out there and the collection points uh, by the exits along the way. But the last opportunity as we just think about how do we kind of kickstart for Fort Mill is to join us this Saturday, the 16th of March, and serve our community. And many of you have already signed up for that. You can sign up online. You can walk out here in the lobby and sign up uh, on some iPads out there. Or if you prefer paper, uh, you can do it with paper along the way. There's details about that in the worship folder. We just want to spend some time this coming Saturday morning serving our community in some very practical ways. And then that will kind of conclude Sunday as we have uh, some of our ministry partners here. Some of the folks serving our community are going to be here. We get to meet and interact with them a little bit along the way. So I encourage you to be a part of that. So as I just draw this to a close this morning, the the, the challenge is uh, to to live like we're for the gospel and we're for the people that God has placed around us. And to be intentional in in looking for ways uh, to, with our life and certainly with our lips, to point people to Jesus Christ. Because our job is not to get them to behavior modification. Our job is to point them to Jesus Christ and allow their hearts, their lives, their minds to be captured by the gospel of Jesus Christ. I invite you to join us as we seek to be for the gospel and for 
the people around us. Let's pray together, please. Oh, Father, as we just think about this whole idea of four, we just keep coming back and just are honestly overwhelmed by the fact that you are so for us, that you have gone to such great lengths to, to show that most clearly in Jesus Christ. And Father, thank you for the inspiring of these stories to be written down, these real life moments out of the life of Jesus and how they remind us of the fact that he was for us and how he entered into our story, how he hung out with those that uh, a lot of folks wouldn't hang out with because they mattered to God and they mattered to him. And so, Father, I just pray, Lord, would you anew and afresh capture our hearts, expand our minds, help us to see what you see, to feel what you feel, to do what you did. Help us to point other people to Jesus Christ. And I'm just going to ask you to take just 60 seconds more.